We are closing out our series on Ecclesiastes tonight, and we've been framing it with Selena Gomez's all-timer rare, and tonight, this is the song that when I get to DJ anything, like a summer conference, this is my closer, which is, this is a real closer. It's Lose You to Love Me. Here's what she sings. You prom- This is real uh, Bieber, heat, heat toward Bieber. You promised the world and I fell for it. I put you first and you adored it. Set fires to my forest, and you let it burn. Sing off key in my chorus, because it wasn't yours. I saw the signs, and I ignored it. Rose-colored glasses, all distorted. Set fire to my purpose, and I let it burn. You got off in the hurtin' when it wasn't yours. Yeah? We'd always go into it blindly. I needed to lose you to find me. This dancing was killing me softly. I needed to hate you to love me. Yeah? To love, love, yeah. To love, love, yeah. To love, yeah. I needed to lose you to love me, yeah. To love, love, yeah. To love, love, yeah. To love, yeah. I needed to lose you to love me. Why am I thinking of this song? Besides, it's just an all-timer. We're coming to the close of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at verses, just one verse tonight. It's the conclusion of the matter that the teacher, the the narrator of Ecclesiastes gives to us. But I think about the words of Jesus where he says to us, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we could boil Ecclesiastes down into a nutshell, that's it. That there is more to life under the sun. And not to be cheesy, but can we say it this way? It is life under the sun. Yes, Owen. It is life lived to the glory and love of Jesus. So our passage for the night is just one verse from Ecclesiastes twelve, thirteen. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here's what the teacher has for us tonight. And here's how we're going to wrap up our series tonight. Here's what he writes. It's in your handout. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Let me pray for us, and we're going to talk about what in the world does that mean for you and for me. Let's pray first. Lord, we thank you for Ecclesiastes. We thank you for the way 
um, that it evangelizes us by showing us the emptiness of the idols that we are so prone to worship. The emptiness of uh, what you say to us through Paul in Romans 1, the great exchange where we exchange the worship of you, our creator, for the worship of that which is created. And Lord, I pray that as we come to just close out this series tonight, that you would be the one that, uh, that gives us your wisdom, that you would be the one who in your grace makes the dead alive, that you would raise us to new life. Lord, in your grace, would you be uh, the one who uh, shows us the way. Uh, Lord, that you would make, Father, that you would make the Lord Jesus uh, compelling to us, that he would be yet more believable and beautiful to us, and that you would help us to connect the dots of the frustrations and struggles and um, questions that we have. Lord, would you connect the dots of how you have fulfilled all things for us in your son, Jesus. We ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. J.D. Daniels, in his book, The Correspondence, uh, J.D. Daniels is a, is a writer, journalist. In his opening chapter of that book, he tells the story of getting, he's living abroad. Uh, he's kind of moving abroad before he's coming back to the States. But he gets really obsessive about mixed martial arts to the point where he begins to be interested in not just training to kind of learn martial arts, but he begins actually fighting as an MMA fighter. And he's, it's a beautiful essay, and as he's talking about what he's, he, he almost loses his girlfriend at the time, his doctor along the way is saying, you are killing yourself by doing this, but he's obsessed. He can't quit fighting. He can't quit this obsession. And he closes the chapter like this. It's very Ecclesiastes-like. He's just sharing his experience of, of getting even more into the MMA world. And he says this, what next? What else? I made a sickening cut to 148 to fight as a featherweight, so weak and hungry that my hair hurt. And I came in third at yet another tournament. <clears throat> My face looked, looked like a sandwich. Someone had already eaten. Everything really looked like food to me. I had night sweats and a nasty cough. I don't like the sound of this, my doctor said, frowning at her stethoscope. And it turned out I did have to stop smoking in the end, if this is the end. There's no at last. It's not the end. There is no curtain. It does not fall. I took eight weeks off to squat and deadlift heavy and eat something, eat everything that wasn't nailed down, and I gained 35 pounds and had to buy new pants. Then I went back to sparring, and I broke a guy's ribs. That was nice. And then I did it all again. The way you find yourself eating dinner again the next night, the way you have sex if you do again, the way too much to drink was barely enough. It didn't end. It doesn't end. And if I knew what to say next, this wouldn't be the end. It's the quest for meaning. It's the quest for purpose, for something to live for, Daniels gets at something the teacher has been trying to get at as we've if you followed along this series. Our desperate desire, we can name it like this, our desperate desire to find ultimate meaning, to grab hold of something so profound that it orders our days and infuses them with great purpose and lasting joy. And here's what we've done so far. We could just think about it like this. Pleasure isn't it, we've learned. It's much too temporary. We're always, if we can say it like this, back on the streets looking for the next fix. Work isn't it. Even if it goes well, really well, someone else always takes over and we can't take our money or our stuff into eternity. Success isn't it. Like even if we have statues built in our name, image, and likeness 
four or five generations later, people will barely notice them, and eventually we're going to be forgotten. I, I did this. I went home. Uh, this was probably three weeks ago now. I had a, a donor meeting in Sumter, and I decided along on my way home. So I'm the, the fifth great-grandson of, of one General Thomas Sumter, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go visit the grave. I don't ever do that. And I, so I did. So I went and saw the grave and looked at all the people around it. And this was the point that I took away is like, no one really remembers. Like, as cool as what he did was, no one really cares. Success isn't it. And even we looked at wisdom isn't it. There is such a thing as being overly wise, the teacher. We didn't look at it, but he says, where our thirst for knowledge actually outpaces our ability to submit ourselves to the various seasons of life. Uh, Flannery O'Connor has this great line where she, she's talking about this, where she says, uh, conviction without experience makes for harshness. Wisdom isn't it. This is where, I don't know if you're watching Succession, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but man, last night's episode, comes out Sunday nights, this final season, was just an all-timer. To the name of this, like you couldn't find, I can't, with all the qualifications of guard your heart, you know, can't just full, full check, you know, blank check recommend but it is a study, and I mean, it would be a wonderful companion guide to Ecclesiastes, because you're watching the Roy family as they're wrestling with their father, Logan, who's trying to name a successor, and his children are just fighting to find that place. But it's a, it's a journey, it's a, it's a clinic in what we're talking about, how we clamor after all of these things. And last night's episode, without spoiling anything, was heavy and human. Because here's this moment where you've watched for three seasons now these kids do crazy things trying to find it, and it's not working. And there's this moment in last night's episode where it's just very Ecclesiastes, where you're looking at the hardness and the harshness and the, the sober making ability of life under the sun. And so finally, the teacher in this last chapter of Ecclesiastes, after he's gone through this week-long, weeks-long classroom-type discussion where he's mostly asking questions and posing questions, and he only gets to this place where he's got one answer for us. Like, this is the only answer in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's this, fear God and keep his commandments. Like, that's it. Can we say on two levels What's a little bit dissatisfying in that? Here's level one. We can say, okay, is that what we really want? To fear God. Like, wouldn't it be better for him to say, love God and keep his commandments? Am I supposed to be afraid of God? Is God some kind of egomaniac where he wants everyone to fear him? In the negative sense of the word, is the Lord some sort of cosmic narcissist where that's what he's after? Does he want you and I to live in fear? That's one level. We're going to get there. But then just think about it like this. This is how I was thinking about today. On another level, imagine next year you decide now's the time I'm going to passion. I need to shake things up. I need an experience. I need something to grab hold to. You're excited to be with fellow Christians. You're excited to praise the Lord to incredible worship music. 
You're excited to hear talks and sermons that are going to like light your soul on fire to love Jesus and to love your neighbor. And imagine that you've signed up, you're going, you get there, and there's no music, and there's one sermon. And the one sermon is basically this, your whole life is fake. And I got one point, fear God and keep his commandments. Like how, how would you feel? Would you be like, this is not what I signed up for? Like I met you and the girlies, you and the homies. You're like, what, what is this? And I think I, I just want to sit, sit there for a second because that's what the teacher has for us. So what does he mean? What does the teacher mean when he tells us to fear God and consequently uh, keep his commandments? Let's start with what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean that we should be afraid of God. We know too much. Again, we read scripture with scripture. We know too much of God's love and goodness to ever fear him in that way. If God were determined to scare us or control us, uh, it's just doesn't square with how much scripture points to God's love for us and his care for us and his adoption of us and his commitment to us and his faithfulness to us. Nor can it mean that he just wants us to hush up, submit, Stop asking our questions. The Lord himself in Isaiah 1, he says, come, let us reason together. He welcomes us in that way. Jesus himself tells us in the upper room, you are more than my servants. You are my friends. And so we know it can't mean terror and it can't mean dehumanizing submission. So what does it mean? This is in your handout. I think Sinclair Ferguson says it better than I can say it to you in terms of what what does it mean? Here's what he says. Follow with me. He says the fear of God in some ways defies our attempts at definition because it is really another way of saying knowing God. It is a heartfelt love for him because of who he is and what he has done, a sense of being in his majestic presence. It is a thrilling awareness that we, this greatest of all privileges, mingled with a realization that now the only thing that really matters is his opinion To have the assurance of his smile is everything. To feel that he frowns on what we do is desolation. To fear God is to be sensitive to both his greatness and his graciousness. It is to know him and to love him wholeheartedly and unreservedly. To fear God, to trust God, to love God, and to know God. These are really one and the same thing. Let me try to get at it this way. So Alyssa and I are in marriage counseling. Humble brag. Uh, not because anything is bad or wrong, but because we believe in counseling. Counseling is good and helpful. And we've got this amazing counselor, and I hate her so much, and I, and I love her so much. She, she's, I hate her so much because she's so good at what she does. And she does this thing every time where she is so good at getting us into our feelings, true feelings, what we're thinking, what we're carrying. And then she does this thing every time where after, after she kind of nails down in a Michael Jordan-like way into what we're really carrying and feeling. She makes us, we sit on this couch together, she makes us turn to one another and say it. Which you would think in marriage is like easy to do. In my experience, some of y'all, you know, in my experience it's not. Vulnerability is always a tough thing, even with your wife and husband. And in particular, this was I guess last week now, she had nailed something that was surprising to me that I turned and said, said to my wife through, just blubbered to her. And it was this, that we're in this new season of life. Y'all saw it a little bit last week where we're sending our firstborn to college and it's scary. And I haven't named that. 
It's not unlike what you maybe felt like coming to college as a freshman, where it's just a new season. Where it's like, what's it going to be like? How's it going to feel? Who are my friends going to be? How are my classes going to go? It's that, but from the other side, where we're like, how's it going to be for her? How's it going to be for us when she's out of the house? So we're carrying all this, but it surprised me that I, I turned and named to my wife, I'm afraid. That's not a, a feeling that's readily available to me. I don't consider myself typically a fearful person. Now, on the one hand, what I'm saying, in a, I'm just going to say it simplistically, in a bad way, I'm saying I'm nervous that I'm losing control, my illusion of control, and I'm nervous how things are going to be, and I want to be in control. Like, that's kind of the bad way. But there is another way, this is more the point, where, I'm, where what I'm hearing is testifying to a reality that I can't help but be aware of and be in awe of and be just, the weight of it is not lost on me. And I think that's the better way to think about what it means to fear God, where we're, there is, we're so dialed in we're so aware, we're so in awe of who he is and what he's done. We're so paying attention to the reality and the weight that is who he is and what he's done that we can scarcely do anything without a hyper-awareness of that loving presence. It's not being afraid. It's being fully alive and aware to the weight of who God is and his love for us. So this is, this is the rare one-point sermon. I don't know that y'all have ever had a... It's, it's rare. The, here's my one point. <clears throat> just got one. Ready? To fear God, and I'm going to connect these dots. To fear God is to love the Lord Jesus. To fear God is to love the Lord Jesus. Let me try to connect it. We just, we're, we're coming out of, we just celebrated Easter for those who celebrate. And we've lived in Holy Week. And just think about it with me for a second, about what, it, what does it look like to fear God and keep his commandments? When you look at Jesus, Jesus in the upper room with his disciples, and none of them want to take the place of the servant. And so Jesus does. And he kneels, and he washes their exhausted feet. That's the fear of the Lord. Jesus... Uh, after this is arrested, he's betrayed, and he's with Peter, and Peter does that thing where he pulls out his sword and he slices off the guard's ear. And Jesus reprimands him in love and says, Peter, put your sword away. And he heals the guard's ear. And that is the fear of God. Jesus, he goes with his friends to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he pleads in prayer with the Father, Father, take this cup, this cup that the Old Testament talks about is filled to the brim with the wrath that sin deserves and the judgment that sin deserves. And he's pleading with the Father, and then he says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And that is the fear of God. And as Jesus, as he goes to the cross, and as he's dying, do you remember this weird moment where from the cross... Jesus looks at Mary and he looks at John and he says to John, take care of my mother, Mary. Selflessly, he's dying and he is moving always in love. And that's 
the fear of God. And Jesus, as he rises from the grave, you just, at least we heard about it yesterday. And the first person he reveals himself to is Mary Magdalene, a woman who loved him and stayed by his side while the men had gone. And he entrusted to her the good news of his resurrection. Go and tell my friends. And that is the fear of God. And Jesus does all of this in our place for our good, that you and I might know the love of the Father like he does. And this is the only question of ultimate meaning for you and for me, the one that has potential to frame everything. We said last week, everything matters. If this is true, everything matters. Every season of our lives, and we learn in the love of God to frame it in just the right way, and we learn as we look to the love of God to infuse our lives with meaning and purpose and joy and hope. And here's the question for you and for me. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Do you love him? And maybe the better way to ask it is, are you in awe of how much the Lord Jesus loves you? Are you in awe of how much he loves you? I love the story that Brendan Manning tells in the Ragamuffin Gospel. He talks about his friend, Edward Farrell, who's a priest from Detroit, and he goes on this two-week summer vacation to Ireland to visit some relatives. And he's got this one living uncle, and they're celebrating his 80th birthday. And on, on the day of his birthday, Ed and his uncle get up early, and they go on this walk before dawn. And Ed just describes, looking at his uncle, they stood, here's what Manning says, they stood side by side for a full 20 minutes and then resumed walking. And Ed glanced at his uncle and saw that his face had broken into a broad smile. And Ed said, Uncle Seamus, you look very happy. I am. And Ed asked, how come? And his uncle replied, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. And here's what Manning writes. He says, if the question were put to you, do you honestly believe that God likes you, not loves you, because theologically he must, how would you answer? God's love, God loves by necessity of his nature without the internal, eternal interior generation of love, he would cease to be God. But if you could answer, and here's the point, if you could answer, the father is very fond of me, there would come a relaxedness a serenity and a compassionate attitude toward yourself that is a reflection of God's own tenderness. In Isaiah 49, God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. The Father is very fond of me. Do you know that love? This is all the teacher has for us. To fear God and keep his commandments, or to put it another way, to be so sure that the Father is fond of you, that all of life, every part of life, is love to him, doing what he's told us to do, following him in all that we do, no more and no less. Or the way that the Westminster Catechism says it, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Daniel's, I'll close with this. Daniel's, he, he shared that experience as he's writing that essay of, of MMA fighting and his quest for meaning and purpose. And gosh, y'all, he ends this essay in such a beautiful way. So he ends it saying, 
When is the end? What's next? And here's how he closes it. He envisions Jacob wrestling with the angel. And he he writes this. The angel said to Jacob, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. That was all he wanted. And so the angel said, what is thy name? Thy name shall be called no more Jacob. And the angel blessed him. And Jacob let the angel go. Do you realize for us, it's a picture of what we have in Jesus. And the blessing that has come to us in Jesus. And what the teacher has for us is simply that. To fear God is to love the Lord Jesus. And to love the Lord Jesus is to follow him and that love to keep his commandments. And it's no more and it's no less. Let's pray. Our Lord, would you give us that wisdom? Would you teach us what it means in our own lives, in our own stories, in our own struggles? And would you draw us back, back and back and back again to collapse upon the Lord Jesus? Lord, that's what we need most of all, that we might be secure, that we might be, find pleasure and work and success and wisdom all in him. We need this, Lord, and we ask for it. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.